Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. These are a few examples of letters that pastors have received from kids before. Uh, Dear Pastor, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother won't be there. That was from Stephen, eight years old. Loreen, nine years old, wrote, Dear Pastor, I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. Andrew, 10 years old, Dear Pastor, please say a prayer for our Little League team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. Carla, 10 years old, said, Dear Pastor, are there any devils on earth? I think there may be one in my class. And then Ralph, 11 years old, said, Dear Pastor, I really liked your sermon Sunday, especially when it was finished. (laughs) Children uh, often say some of the funniest things. It was a wise teacher that uh, told the parent of one of her students, uh, if you promise not to believe everything your child tells you that happens at school, I will promise not to believe everything your child tells me that happens at home. So we are going to study a letter. We're going to start studying a letter this morning. And uh, this letter was written many years ago uh, from the Apostle Paul to one of his sons in the faith. The good news for us this morning is we can believe this letter because this letter was inspired by God to and through Paul uh, by God's Holy Spirit in Paul. Every word in this letter is trustworthy and true. Every word in this letter is for me and you. As Peter reminded us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21, he said, above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture ever comes from a prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke for God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God empowered and equipped and inspired his authors to write his words in his word that we hold in our hands again this morning. So God wants us then obviously to read his word, to understand his word, to study his word, to listen to his word, to share his word, but most importantly, to obey his word. God wants us to be hearers and doers of his word. And so we're going to continue in that process again this morning, hearing God's word, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, doing what God asks us to do through the teaching of his word. Open your Bibles with me if you have them, and I hope and am confident you do, to the New Testament book of Titus. We're starting a new sermon series uh, this morning titled, Better Together, Doing Church God's Way. God's word is full of truth and blessings for us, And in particular, this letter from the Lord to us is full of his grace and mercy and love and blessings for us that we can take with us on a day-by-day basis, starting with this morning. We are blessed by God as we study and obey the word of God. And so I'm excited to begin this journey with you through this 
fantastic letter in the New Testament. Uh, we're excited about all that God has for us as we prepare uh, to make our way through this series. We're doing this series in English and in Spanish, Pastor Daniel, and our brothers and sisters in our Spanish ministry will also be starting this morning, and they're going through it as well, and so uh, God's going to have the house covered from the front end to the back end, uh, and all areas in between as we uh, take this uh, book apart that God has given to us. I want to share real quick, uh, as I begin, a Go, God, Go moment with you. Uh, two Sundays ago, it's now two Sundays ago, we had three adults uh, pray to receive God's gift of salvation through the faith in Jesus Christ in our CRC in Espanol service. That is a go, God, go moment. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. All right, you know how we do it. One, two, three. Go, God, go. An amazing, amazing testimony. We celebrate uh, salvation uh, from God every opportunity we get, just as we celebrate baptism, as we've already done this morning with Zach, and we'll do in the second service as well. And so we're going to start an overview. I want to begin this morning as we make our way through this series, and I kind of want to set the scene. I want to get an overview to you as we begin to unpack God's truth for our lives in this letter. So we're going to set up the, the scene, some foundational points that will help us understand uh, all that God is going to be speaking with us in the uh, weeks to come and understand a little bit about uh, this book of Titus uh, that we're going to start to study and how we can apply it in our lives. I believe this uh, truth in this passage is very relatable, very relevant to us today uh, as we seek to do church God's way. Uh, we have an example here from uh, Titus, some instruction we can apply in our lives as we do just that. So let's begin, and uh, we'll begin first with the author. The author is Paul. Paul made this clear to us. If you look at Titus 1.1, in the very first word, Paul identifies himself as the author in the greeting. So we know and understand and trust that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the author of this letter. Paul was a key figure, as you know, in the New Testament, a key figure in the spread of the gospel, uh, in the evangelization of uh, the Roman world, and planning of churches, and teaching God's truth. We initially meet Paul as Saul. Uh, he was originally known as Saul. He went by his Jewish name, Saul, Roman name, Paul. And we meet Saul early on in the book of Acts, and we know that Saul was a devout Jew, and he persecuted the believers, the followers of Jesus, in the first church in Jerusalem and beyond. Saul wanted to shut down. He wanted to stop the church in Jerusalem. He wanted to stop the spread of Christianity. Saul was feared by the members of the first church in Jerusalem and beyond. God saved Saul by his grace through Saul's response of faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. At this time, Saul lost his sight for three days. He was blind for three days as God by his Holy Spirit spoke into him and ministered to him. And then God spoke to one of his faithful servants, Ananias, and God sent Ananias to Saul to lay his hands on Saul 
so that Saul could regain his sight. And Ananias, upon hearing from the Lord, responded like many of us possibly or probably would have responded. And Ananias responded and said, whoa, 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 Lord. Whoa, whoa, are, are, you, are you sure? Saul? Lord, I'm not sure if you know, but he's a bad dude. He's doing a lot of really not good things to the church and to followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, the Lord responded and said, but the Lord said to him, go, go Ananias, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias obeyed God, and he went to Saul. God restored Saul's sight and continued his miraculous work in and through Saul from that point forward. We begin to read and to know Saul as Paul. He stops going by his Jewish name, and he starts to be known by his Roman name uh, in and around Acts chapter 13. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, we see that, that God had saved Saul, and he had called Saul to ministry, in particular the Gentiles. And so in Acts chapter 13, we start to read in the scriptures that he is known as Paul, because that is the point in time when the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out on that first missionary journey to begin uh, spreading the gospel uh, and planting churches. The persecutor was now a preacher. And so we see this amazing transformation in Paul's life. And he is our author of this letter that we're going to be reading. We're going to be studying. We're going to be learning from. And just a quick note, we are all trophies of God's grace, just like Paul. We are all trophies of God's grace. God has rescued each one of us in Christ Jesus out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. You see, in Jesus Christ, we all have forgiveness of sins. The redemption through his blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross of Calvary that we just finished singing about. And we've been declaring this truth and so we all know that we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Whatever our old is, and maybe there's not a whole lot of persecution in our old, such as there was with Paul, but whatever our old was, it wasn't good. And now we know that we're focused in on what is, and that is we are new creations in Christ. And God, by his spirit, lives within us. And he is changing us and making us more and more like Jesus day by day. And this is exciting. I know it's exciting for me. I know it's exciting for you. As we don't have to stay the way we once were. We're new in Christ. And we become more and more like him day by day as we pursue him and surrender to him and follow him in obedience. And so Paul is the author, the recipient. Who's the audience? The second point is the audience. And the audience is Titus and the church. We see in Titus 1 and verse 4, Paul, in his greeting, we're still in the greeting, says, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. So Titus, Titus is the specific audience of this letter originally. The church 
is also the recipient of this letter. So let's, let's introduce ourselves to Titus. And let me just share a few points about Titus uh, that will help us get a little bit better understanding of, of who this guy is that we're going to be learning from through this letter. Titus, first we know, was a Gentile. Uh, we see this in Galatians chapter 2. And at verse 1, we find this, uh, Paul, or actually in, ch- in chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul said, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Titus was a spirit-filled Gentile follower of Jesus Christ. He was a believer in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to see how this plays out as we study uh, this book of Titus, we know that Paul was called by God to ministry, and he was specifically called to be the minister to the Gentiles. Paul obviously ministered to Jews, but his focus was on Gentiles. And therefore, Titus, being a spirit-filled Gentile believer, was going to be, and we'll find out, of great assistance to Paul in ministry, in particular to the Gentiles, but in many other ways as well. And so we know Titus, first and foremost, was a Gentile believer. Second, Titus was Paul's son in the faith. We see this in verse 4. He says, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Titus, much like Timothy and others, but Titus, much like Timothy we see in the New Testament, was led to his faith in Christ by Paul. Paul was instrumental in helping Titus come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul was the spiritual father of Titus. He was also his encourager, his mentor, his discipler, his teacher, his co-laborer, his co-servant, and his friend. And so we see third point about Titus was Titus was dependable. And this is going to come through in a lot of our writing and a lot of our study. He was dependable. He was someone that, that Paul relied on. He was a brother that that Paul turned to as it came to ministry in many different occasions, in many different ways. He was dependable. He was reliable. One such occasion that we see this dependability of Titus and how it continued to bond Paul and Titus together involved the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a, a spiritually troubled church. There were many troubles, many issues, many challenges going on within the church in Corinth. Paul wrote uh, multiple letters to this church, uh, correcting them, rebuking them, addressing the problems, the the difficulties. Uh, In particular, uh, one letter uh, was sparked from Paul to the believers of the church in Corinth because these believers, many of the believers in the church, were living in rebellion against God. They were living in sin against God, and uh, they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing, and they were also rebelling against Paul. Paul and his leadership, because Paul had helped to plant that church in Corinth. Paul's opponents in ministry, those who were jealous of him, many false teachers, had stirred up trouble for Paul in Corinth. After Paul had left Corinth, they were stirring up trouble. Uh, Many of the believers in the church were believing these opponents of Paul rather than Paul, and so Paul penned a heartfelt, a passionate, a severe letter rebuking the believers and the church in Corinth and calling them to repentance. He called them to repent of their sins. We find the background of this in 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn to your left, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 
we see Paul refers to this letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, I'll begin reading in verse 3. He said, I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy because I'm confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. He's sharing about the reason for this letter that he wrote. For I wrote to you with many tears. Paul was heartbroken for these believers. Out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. And so we see that Paul wrote this heartfelt letter to this church, these believers in Corinth, and he trusted the delivery of the letter to Timothy, I mean to Titus. He, gave, he called Titus, and Titus delivered this letter that Paul was referencing to the believers in the church in Corinth. And so we see Paul wrote this letter of rebuke to these believers because he loved the believers and he wanted them to respond in repentance and return to the faith and trust in Christ Jesus and walking in obedience. And we find an update from chapter two and chapter seven. So if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, we find the update and the result of Titus and his delivery of this letter to these believers and their response beginning in verse five. Paul wrote, in fact, when we made it and came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. Paul had left Corinth and he was ministering in the churches of Macedonia. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, so Titus came to where Paul was there in Macedonia. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, here it is, your sorrow and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So what happened was Titus was dependable. Paul depended on Titus, take this letter to the believers, stay there, minister there, and then bring me a report back. That's exactly what Titus did. Titus got back to Paul, and he shared with them the result of what had happened in that letter and all that happened that God did. God convicted them of their sin. God rebuked those believers. They confessed their sin to God. They renewed their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. They renewed their obedience to God. They turned from their sin. They turned back to the Savior, walking in obedience to God, and they renewed their love and commitment to Paul. And they made sure Titus knew this so that when he went back, he would be sure to share that with Paul. And so they took care of Titus while he was there as well. And so when Titus got to Paul and he shared the results, Paul rejoiced. Titus was dependable. He was very dependable. Someone that Paul relied on. Secondly, or the fourth point is Titus was an effective minister. He was a very effective minister. We see on another occasion that Titus went with Paul and Barnabas to the visit at the church in Jerusalem. They went there to visit the leaders, the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, Titus was with Paul on this occasion, Galatians chapter 2. If you want to turn to your right real quick, Galatians chapter 2, we find, beginning in verse 1, Paul wrote these words, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. 
I went up according to Revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately, privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. The good news of the gospel is salvation is available by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, not by works. This was the gospel that Paul and Barnabas and Titus and others were preaching and teaching and sharing to Gentiles and Jews alike. Becoming like a Jew, being circumcised, was not necessary for the Gentiles in order for them to be saved, in order for them to have a relationship with God, which is what the false teachers and the Judaizers were going around proclaiming. And so Paul and Barnabas and Titus and Timothy and Silas and others were proclaiming the good news of the, good news of the gospel that we know, still the good news of the gospel today, but as they were going around to these churches, they were proclaiming the gospel. These false teachers, these Judaizers were proclaiming something else. And they were trying to force the Gentiles in order to become saved. They had to be circumcised. They had to become like a Jew. They had to completely change everything. They had to do works. They were teaching salvation as Jesus plus works. And so Paul decided, All right, I'm going to get this settled. So I'm going to take Barnabas and Titus, let's go. And so they, they took a trip. They went up and took a trip to Jerusalem to meet with James and John and the other leaders there at the church in Jerusalem, home base, the home church. And they wanted to make sure that everybody was on board, that everybody agreed the gospel is by salvation, through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. And so they had that meeting, and they all agreed that that is exactly the case, that that's the good news of the gospel. And so they went forth in agreement in these churches, standing firm against the false teachers, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We will see as we make our way through this study, this experience was very key, very foundational in Titus's life because Titus is going to come up against false teachers uh, in this letter. We're going to be talking about false teachers. We're going to be talking about their false doctrines. We're going to be talking about how they were coming uh, from inside and outside the church, trying to lead the church astray from the good news of the gospel. And Titus defended the gospel. Titus rebuked and confronted these false teachers. And much of his passion and his wisdom and his, and his knowledge and how to do just that is going to be focused all the way back to that trip where he was with Paul there in Jerusalem. Uh, learning. And so we see uh, Titus was an effective minister. We're going to see that all throughout this letter. But Titus wasn't the only audience. The church was the audience for this letter of Titus. That means you and me. We're the church. We are the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, members of God's family. And so we know this letter, the words in this letter, is for you and for me today. They're relevant for us They'll help us, they'll encourage us, they'll bless us, they'll guide us, they'll teach us, just like they did with Titus years and years ago. The third point is the time. Let's look at the time here, kind of get our bearings set. The time of this writing, the time of this letter was A.D. 62 to 64. 
Most Bible scholars agree the time frame there is A.D. 62 to 64 is when uh, Paul penned this letter uh, to Titus. Now, just make a quick point, uh, uh, and I believe this is a very significant point. This time frame puts us, just so we'll know and, and have an understanding of what's going on here within the context of the New Testament, the writing of this letter puts us roughly about 30 to 35 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about this letter was real close in time to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ministry on earth. So what does that mean? It means this, the brevity of this time frame adds exponentially to the trustworthiness of the gospel, to the trustworthiness of the scriptures, because the writing of the scriptures was so close in time to the events written about in the scriptures. Meaning, legend didn't have time yet to be developed. Meaning, these things couldn't have been taken out of context and exaggerated, because much of the New Testament was written, and there were still people alive who saw the very events that were written about in the Gospels. And just so you'll know, this evidence in support of the Gospels is far superior to any evidence, time-wise, of any other piece of literature in history. You can search all of ancient history, and you can look at all the pieces of literature that everyone today claims that were written, and the author was the one who uh, wrote those words, and there's no debate, and yet they pale in comparison to the amount of evidence that exists for the scriptures and for those who wrote these scriptures and for the truth of the events that were written in here, which is exciting for us because as we study this, we know it's true, and we know God's at work in us, and therefore these words gave life, they give life, and they will continue to give life to us as we study and get involved in what God has for us here in this letter. Now, as well, Paul wrote this letter uh, in between his two imprisonments. Uh, if you understand and remember uh, much of his ministry, Paul did a lot of ministry, and then he was imprisoned in Rome. He was arrested, and he was put in the prison in Rome, and he was there for a period of time. But his first imprisonment ended with him being released, and he was actually released. And so he was released from prison in Rome for that first time, and he immediately then went and did ministry. He went back to the churches and did ministry. Paul ministered with Titus on the island of Crete in those churches. He ministered with Titus on the island of Crete, uh, and he ministered in those churches, and then he left... Titus on the island of Crete to lead the churches there while Paul then went on to Achaia and Macedonia and continued ministering in between those two imprisonments. Most likely Paul wrote this letter to Titus from Corinth or from Nicopolis. 
one of those two towns. But we, he did ministry. He was stationed there in those two locations. Uh, we'll hear more about Nicopolis as we make our way through and into chapter 3. Uh, we'll, he was there in those two areas. So most likely that's where uh, he wrote this letter to Titus and had it delivered to Titus, who was on the island of Crete leading those churches. And so we see... Uh, our author is Paul. Our audience is Titus and us. Time around 62 to 64 AD. It's a great time frame, close to the events, close to uh, the ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The victory is ours in Christ Jesus. Exciting days, exciting times here that we see in this letter. The fourth point I want us to look at this morning is the purpose. The purpose. What's the purpose of the letter? Uh, and the, the purpose of the letter overall is to, to organize and lead the churches. It's to help Titus organize and lead the churches. And we see the importance of this here uh, in uh, the first chapter of Titus. Paul, as I shared, ministered with Titus uh, in the churches on the island of Crete. Paul then left Titus on the island of Crete to organize and lead the churches there. Paul wanted to make sure that these believers were doing church God's way. Paul wanted to make sure that these believers, after he left, would be able to uh, go and be involved in their churches, and their churches would be organized biblically so they could function biblically so that these believers could continue growing in their faith in Christ and their witness for Christ. And so he left Titus there, and he gave him some instructions. And these instructions are throughout this letter, these three chapters that we'll be studying. And so you can kind of boil these instructions down to three different areas. He, he gave instruction in three different areas. Uh, and so let's look at those three areas. The first area uh, is right leadership. He focused his attention on right leadership leadership. In chapter 1 and verse 5, if you look at verse 5, Paul wrote these words, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. Paul knew the effectiveness of the church the health of the church, the growth of the church was dependent in large part on the proper leadership in the church. He understood this. And so here he's sharing at the beginning of chapter 1, he gets right to the point with Titus. And he tells Titus, I've left you there to organize and lead the churches. And I want you to do this one thing. I want you to set right what was left undone. And then secondly, I want you to appoint elders in every town. Elders, there's that word that can also be used, pastors, bishops, overseers. Elders, pastors, bishops, overseers. Elder pastors is what we read about in Scripture often. She said, I want you to set apart, I want you to appoint elders in every town. Notice that when he shared that, he was sharing the plural, not the singular. Elders, plural. And so God has designed his local church then and his local church today to be led by a group of pastors or elders, a plurality of elders or pastors. That's God's desire and design for his church. And so these guys come together and they 
work together to lead the church by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. These elders, these pastors, are men who are called, saved, called, equipped, and empowered by God to lovingly, faithfully, obediently lead the church. They lead the church, the local church in their town, in their area. And there's multiple reasons this is necessary. There's multiple reasons why elders are necessary, why elders, pastors are important for us today, just as they were years ago. One reason is God's people need to be led. One of the reasons that God has designed his local church to be led by elder pastors is because his people need to be led. We know this. We see this throughout the scriptures. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are all prone to wander away from God into sin. We're all prone to do that. And so we know and understand that God has set up in his local churches, elders, pastors, so that they will be there to preach and teach the word, to make sure that they preach and teach the word in season and out of season, to rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching, to love and lead the members of the church family, to be fully devoted disciples, followers, servants, and witnesses of Jesus Christ. Pastors, elders, are under shepherds of the great shepherd, Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the lead pastor of the church. He is the leader of the church. The pastor, elders, shepherd the church. And so we see, we see this theme throughout the Gospels as Jesus is the great shepherd and we are his flock, the sheep of his pasture. And so we know sheep are prone to wander away from who? The shepherd. And so that shepherd is needed to take care of the sheep. And we know that Jesus said he is that great shepherd who when all the 99 were together and that one sheep left, what did the shepherd do? He went and he got that one. He got him and he brought him back in. And so we see right leadership in the church begins with pastors and elders and then continues with ministers and deacons and brothers and sisters in Christ, Bible teachers, servants, all throughout. There's a spot for ministry for all of us because we're all gifted for ministry. And so we see the first reason is God's people need to be led. The second reason for pastor elders is the prevalence of false teachers. The prevalence of false teachers. This was true in Titus's day, and it is true in our day. Pastors, elders are also not only required to teach and to love and to lead the flock, to care for the flock, but they're also called to protect, protect God's people, to help confront and rebuke false teaching, false doctrine. And as we're going to see, Titus is going to have an opportunity to do that quite a bit. As Paul told Titus, there are many rebellious people in the church who are full of empty talk and deception. And we know there are not just many folks in the church in that regard, but also those who come from outside the church. And so we see and understand that this is vitally important. Right leadership. And Paul's going to focus on this area in chapter 1, all the way throughout, but a, a special attention and focus in chapter 1. Second area that he'll focus in on that we'll talk about is right teaching. We see in chapter 2 in verse 1, Paul wrote, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. So we got sound right leadership, and then we transition to sound right teaching. Because sound teaching should come from sound leadership. Right teaching should come from right leadership. And so we see and know 
that Paul has commanded Titus to teach, to preach, to share right, correct, true, sound teaching, instruction, and doctrine. Pastor elders are to preach and teach God's word. Bible teachers in the preschool and children's ministry and student ministry and adult ministry are to preach and teach God's word. God's word is absolute truth for our lives. And so we know and understand Jesus prioritized right teaching. Jesus, in the gospel of John, was praying for us in John chapter 17. And Jesus prayed for us, and he prayed to God the Father for us, and he's prayed, God, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so he prioritized the word, the teaching of the word. He said, sanctify them by your truth. That, that truth there is the word of God. Sanctify means to make holy. It means to uh, transform. It means to set apart from sin and set apart to the Savior Jesus. It means to cleanse us from sin and consecrate us to the Savior Jesus. And so we see Jesus prioritizing the Word, the Word, the Word. The teaching of this Word helps us to become more like Christ, helps us to be holy, live holy lives. Helps us to turn away from sin and turn to the Savior day by day. Jesus highlighted this again in the Great Commission. We said, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them, say that with me out loud. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, we see the emphasis of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the church. We then obviously know that that is vitally important. For us as well, the leaders, but all of us as members, getting under the right teaching, studying the Word of God so that we can live it out in our lives. We make disciples of Jesus as we teach and obey the truth of Jesus, the words of Jesus in this Word. And so we understand right leadership is vital and important because that leads to right teaching. Sound leadership leads to sound teaching. Biblical leadership leads to biblical teaching. And then we get to the third area that involves all of us, and that is right living. We get to the point where we see the importance of right living. The leadership leads to the teaching, which then leads to the living out of the Word of God for all of us. In chapter 3 and verse 8, uh, we have Paul said, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. Listen, he's saying, this is trustworthy. You can trust me. This is true. It's trustworthy. And he says, I insist on these things. I want you to insist on these things. So Titus, in your teaching, in your ministry, in the churches, insist on these things. You got to insist on this. So I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed, these things being right teaching, he's wanting them to insist on the right teaching of the Word of God, so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to what? To good works. To good works. Right leadership leads to right teaching, which leads to right living. What we know is what we always now, as we get in the Word of God, God wants us to live what we learn from His Word. God wants us to put His Word into practice in our lives. God's Word is meant for our transformation, not just our information. It's meant to transform us and make us more and more like Christ. If we come to the Word of God for information only, we are missing the point. 
We know Scripture tell us, tells us knowledge for knowledge's sake puffs up with pride. If we're looking at the Scriptures and all we want to do is accumulate knowledge to make ourselves feel better about ourselves so that we can know that we know all kinds of stuff from the Word of God, and if that's what our focus is and if that's where we stop, we've missed a point. You see, Scripture is not just for our information. Certainly it is. We have right teaching. We need that information. But it's more so for our transformation. That teaching is to be put into practice in our lives, to be seen through our lives. You see, it's real simple. You know this as well as I do. I've said this many times before. We show how much we know of the Word of God. We literally show how much we know of the Word of God day by day, week by week, step by step. Folks reveal themselves. We reveal ourselves all the time. You observe, folks. You watch. You listen. It's real easy. We show how much we know of the Word of God. The more we know what Paul was telling Titus, that right teaching, which is so important, insist on the right teaching, he said, listen, the more we know, the more it should what? Show through our lives to where we don't ever have to go around telling people how much we know because that's not going to help anybody. That's not important at all. What we want to do is we want to go around and we want to make sure that we're devoted to good works. We're devoted to living out the right teaching that is being poured into our lives through our actions. That's why Paul encouraged Titus said, insist on this. I want everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, all those who have believed on God, to devote themselves. Devote themselves to good works. He says here that it's, it's good and profitable for everyone. So as we devote ourselves to good works, as we devote ourselves to living out the truth of God's word, as we devote ourselves to living the teaching, to living what we're learning from the word of God, as we devote ourselves to good works, we are reminded that we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. So as we devote ourselves to those good works, it's good for us and it's profitable for us because we are being effective witnesses for Jesus. But it's also good for those around us and profitable for those around us because they receive that encouragement, that support, that teaching, that accountability. As we are all devoting ourselves to good works, then God is multiplying his work in us, through us, and around us. And that is what God wants in his church because when that starts happening, then his church continues just to explode and expand. And it begins to reach out to all those around that body of believers. It helps those folks come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, right leadership addresses the direction of the church. Right, right teaching addresses the doctrine of the church. Right living addresses the duty of the church. And it is good and profitable for us, brothers and sisters. It's good and profitable for us to devote ourselves to good works, to doing church God's way. We need to do church God's way personally. The lost world around us desperately needs us to do church God's way. 
so that they can see the light of Christ and be drawn out of the darkness of sin into the light and glory of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Thankfully, the good news for us this morning, once again, is that God empowers us, God teaches us, and God enables us and empowers us to do church His way, to devote ourselves to good works by the power of His Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Our part is to run to Jesus. Our part is to remain in Jesus. Our part is to rely on Jesus, knowing that as we do, we will bear much fruit, because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Right leadership leads to right teaching, which leads to right living, which leads to the glory, honor, and praise of our great and almighty God and His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Worship team's going to come and, and lead in this time of response, and I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord. As he is speaking to you this morning, and in particular, to respond in, in regards to the right living. Listen, the Word teaches us, and we'll be reviewing and renewing these principles again to pray with one another, to encourage one another, to bless one another. We're to care for one another, to minister to one another, to serve one another because of our love for God and our love for one another. So I'm going to encourage you just to be ready and willing to go and minister as God calls you to go and minister. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. We don't ever want anyone to come into this room with a burden, a care, a concern, weighing you down, causing you stress or fear or in any way, any kind of discouragement without being able to have a brother or sister in Christ pray for you, pray over you, casting that care on the Lord, reminding you that he cares for you, knowing that as we present our requests to God, our cares, anxieties, and concerns, God replaces all those worries, anxieties, concerns with his peace, which passes all of our understanding and it protects and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you, my brother, sister, if you have a need, a care, concern, these Prayer partners would love to pray with you, pray for you. The altar is open as it always is. Maybe you want to come and kneel and maybe go and minister to a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Come and kneel. There's a request that you just want to spend time with the Father, lifting up. Maybe God's calling you to go and encourage your brother or sister in Christ to be a blessing. Do that. This is the time. This is our opportunity, the time that we have to minister to one another. If you are ready to receive God's gift of salvation, by his grace to your faith in Christ Jesus, if you're ready to believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, he was tempted as we're tempted, but he never sinned. He died on the cross in our place, paying the price for our sins. He was buried in the tomb, and then he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death for you. If you're ready now and you understand and believe that Jesus is alive and faith in Jesus is the only way into a relationship with God, as the scriptures teach us, and you're ready at this point, to repent of your sin, to repent of living your way, and in surrender, you're ready to turn to God, confessing your sin to God and receiving his gift of salvation by your trust in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation, then we would love to introduce you to Jesus. We'd love to celebrate with you this morning. New life, abundant life, eternal life can be yours by making that greatest decision of all to say yes to Jesus. We're going to stand in just a moment and we're going to declare our praise once again to God through song. Maybe that's your response is just to stand 
and sing out the praise of the Father because of the blessings he's pouring into your life. As the Lord is speaking, and we know he is, let's now respond in obedience to him. Let's stand and say yes to the Lord.